Freight and supply chain isn't considered sexy by most. But Sam has a different view. There isn't anything quite as satisfying as a well-oiled supply chain coming together. There is, however, a lot of fluff that surrounds the industry. This podcast looks to break through that fluff, bringing exciting topics and trends to light with a fresh new perspective. Welcome to What's in the Box with Sam Greenosh. Welcome to episode number 22 of What's in the Box. I have the absolute pleasure today to be joined by Benjamin Gordon. Ben is a four-time entrepreneur. He is an investor, an advisor, and a real influence in our space. It's an absolute pleasure to have him on the show today. Uh, What we're going to be diving into is looking at some of the most exciting technology trends, what makes an exciting investment for, for him and for the business, looking at the key characteristics of great leaders and how to identify them, and then touching on some kind of merge and acquisition and navigating through some of these current challenges. Absolutely great episode, packed full of insight. So Ben, it'd be great if you could give a quick introduction of yourself to our listeners. Sure, Sam. Thank you. And a pleasure to join you and a pleasure to speak with your listeners. So I'm an entrepreneur. I've built four companies in transportation and technology. Started my first company 22 years ago. It was called Threeplex. And it was a SaaS TMS. It was uh, a little bit ahead of its time. The market for SaaS TMS is a lot stronger today than it was back then, as, as you know. But uh, we raised a lot of money. We had Morgan Stanley, Goldman Sachs, and others. We sold it in 02 to Maersk. And then Maersk sold it three years later to IBM. So been through a couple of entrepreneurial journeys, founded four companies, and currently invest Cambridge Capital, my own money and that of partners and businesses in the logistics and technology arena. We were an early investor in the beginning in XPO, now, of course, a $20 billion public company. We invested in the beginning at Grand Junction, a last mile company, which we ended up selling to Target. We invested uh, early in Bring, last mile, which is doing great, reverse logics and returns management, and a host of others in the world of supply chain. So we look for great companies in the logistics and supply chain world where there's a moat, uh, tailwinds, high growth, and an opportunity for us to help. Amazing. And so let's jump straight in. First question I wanted to ask around was the digitization of our space, which is obviously where your background lies. And the businesses you founded were, again, like you said, ahead of their time. But over the last kind of two years with this COVID situation, it seems to have really accelerated the adoption and the investment in logistics tech, which is amazing. What are the most exciting businesses you're talking to right now? And what, what are the characteristics of why they're exciting? Well, I think a couple of things. First of all, there's the question of what a customers want. And then second of all, there's the question of what businesses are building. So customers, I'll just give you an example. I had a conversation last week with the CEO and then the head of supply chain at a $6 billion construction company. And they said, you know, CEO, it was funny. He said, you know, Ben, I never really thought about supply chain until this year when nothing worked. <laughs> and uh, nothing worked. You had the delay with the Suez Canal. Uh, you had all the crazy disruptions and bullwhip effects associated with COVID, random shortages of things that didn't seem to make sense, like, like toilet paper. On the other hand, shortages and now glut of things like hand sanitizer. And, and so, you know, this has been a year where I think the world has seen the price of supply chain disruption. And on the other hand, his head of supply chain said, you know, <laughs> I've never been so important to my company. And it's true. So what are some of the things that a company like, like that cares about? Well, one is they're a construction company. So when there's a project, there's a new building, and they've got all these different inputs, suppliers, you know, raw materials, et cetera. And it's all got to show up at the same time. Well, if one thing doesn't show up at the same time, you've held up the whole project. So one of the things that they 
you know, care about is visibility. Where's my stuff? Where are all the inputs? What's the glass pipeline so that I can see where everything is and when? What can I do to intervene if there's a problem? If I know something is delayed, what preventative action or corrective action can I take rather in order to fix it? All of that revolves around the question of visibility, uh, predictive analytics, and supply chain tools in order to manage the problem of what happens when something doesn't show up on time. And so that to me is one huge issue that we see a lot of. Another is shortage of capacity. I have a, a friend who uh, runs a large private equity firm, and one of his portfolio companies is in uh, direct-to-consumer carpets, rugs, and furniture. And he called me and he said, Ben, we have this problem. Problem is that we're not able to deliver our goods on time because FedEx is backed up. And they're, it's not even a price question. They're just not capable of giving us the execution that we need. What do we do? And we can't have customers that, that aren't getting what they ordered. So you know, so there's a, a constraint on capacity, particularly related to the surge in e-commerce and related to last mile. And there are multiple ways to solve it. That brings me to the second half of your question. What are companies doing to address these needs? Well, one thing, and this is something that we've seen with some of our portfolio companies, we're invested in a last mile SaaS company called Bring. Bring has done a great job of helping companies solve the question of orchestrating their last mile and coordinating with all their different partners. You see this particularly in food, retail, medical, you know, where that where that comes up a lot. But that's kind of one one way to solve uh, these these issues. Another with Delivery Circle, another portfolio company of ours that's really a last mile services company is doing is they're actually providing capacity to companies. So we'll go to a company, you know, that that's uh, describing the situation where they don't have access to enough capacity from a FedEx, and we'll say, no problem, we can create more because. They have software, they have a control tower, but they also have the capacity to recruit owner operators to come into a network. And so that's another another way to, to address that. So my point is, I think there are lots of problems, but also lots of opportunities. And that creates, uh, I think, a fantastic chance for great supply chain technology. There's a few things you mentioned in there, but one of the things that highlighted out to me is that the technology is developing and evolving and it's becoming more accessible. There's lots of it. And then there's the second side of it, which is the physical assets that's required in order to manage that supply chain, which is where a lot of the scarcities happen with container ships and ports and drivers. How do you think that, is there any interesting businesses that you've got from a, from a technology perspective that's trying to solve some of those maybe more physical challenges? Yeah. So when you think about physical challenges, I mean, there are, of course, there are several. So you, you alluded to a couple. I'll, I'll, I'll speak more broadly about that. One physical challenge is shortage of capacity, right? Another physical challenge is a bottleneck like, like what happened with the Suez. And another physical challenge, you know, for that matter, on the international side, the, the increase in an actual uh, lost cargo, so-called rogue waves combined with stacking ships too high and, and other issues. So, so what do you do about those things? Well, one is, look, if a container is lost right, or, or delayed, you can't magically recover it somehow. But you can do a better job, first of all, tracking it, and then second of all, having uh, preventive notice. You'd love to know if you had a container that was backed up because of the Suez. A, you'd love to know as soon as it happens, some sort of early warning system. And then number two, you'd love to have the ability to shift other safety stock around. I mean, if you're Nike and you've got a you know, major shipment that's supposed to come into the Port of LA, Long Beach, and you know that there's a de uh, delay somewhere, wouldn't you love to then be able to say, great, let's go 
order another shipment from another location in, in order to solve that problem. Maybe you pay a little more, you know, for, for the last minute nature of it, but it's better than not actually having the goods for a week or a month or however long the delay is. So part of that's a software opportunity, I think, for companies to provide early warning systems when there's going to be a problem and then combine that, pair that with potential solutions. So I think that's one. Two is if you have a situation where uh, there's a capacity constraint, uh, you know, the opportunity to create more capacity, synthetic capacity through a network model like a delivery circle, you know, for instance, is, is one way to do it. And then third, and this is longer term, but I, I think you're going to see more of this. One of our operating partners, Remus, used to run R&D at UPS and also ran the Strategic Enterprise Fund. One of the things that UPS invested in several years ago is a 3D printing company. And you might ask yourself, why on earth would a logistics company invest in 3D printing? And the answer is because it allows you to see further into the future as to what's coming next. And frankly, I could envision a world, and so could UPS, where maybe you don't have as many long distance shipments because you could just 3D print whatever you need at a, at, a, at a closer facility. For something that is high value and low volume, like certain types of medical equipment, for instance, you could certainly envision that. Maybe there's a 3D printer on site at a hospital and then instantly when there's a problem or a shortage, you know, you, you could solve that. So I think in some cases there are software solutions, in some cases there are transportation network solutions, and in other places, there are total out-of-the-box ideas like 3D printing. I love that first kind of pillar. I think that's exactly what I see as the, the biggest way of combining the two, which is that predictive, just having foresight and understanding and that visibility enables you to make smarter decisions, which will impact maybe the more physical stuff. So that's, that's great. And one of the big challenges I, I think is during this period now, we've got really exciting technology that's emerging into the scene. And then it's actually we need to get businesses to adopt and to take the new technology on and make that change. But it's probably pretty difficult right now for supply chain leaders who are listening, who are thinking about maybe adopting a new digital piece of software for the supply chain to implement that while there's so much disruption. So have you seen any good examples of that, of how businesses can maybe take on that challenge? Yeah. Well, say, say a little more about that. Because when you talk about disruption, there, there are lots of kinds of disruption in this arena. So maybe elaborate on that a little bit. Okay. So we've got a business is currently dealing with the challenges of trying to get their goods in with space, port congestion, they're the challenges. But then they've got this really new, exciting supply chain software that could potentially give them the ability to get more foresight over the Suez Canal incident or manage their purchase orders to be able to source from a different market. How do they then go from this trying to solve current challenges of what they have, but then also looking at potential new solutions that could solve these challenges and bring them in? It's like that balancing acts of managing the priorities, I suppose. Yeah, it's a classic question, classic challenge, Sam, because, you know, when you're dealing with something mission critical, like logistics and supply chain, right, it's very easy to get tactical and stay tactical, uh, which means you never have the time to move into the strategic areas of making sure that it, it doesn't happen again. I mean, if your listeners or you have ever read uh, Stephen Covey's book, you know, Seven Habits you know, of Highly Effective People, one of the things that Covey talks about is a two-by-two two matrix of urgency and importance. And the things that we tend to spend a lot of time on are the high urgency, but low importance things, right? I've got 100 emails that have just come in in the last hour, and I got to deal with those first. But the problem is, we end up uh, cutting short the high importance, but low urgency things. A great example of high, urge, of high importance, low urgency is just what you said. 
maybe my supply chain network is wrong. It's off. It's inefficient. There's a better way to do it. But I'm never going to have the time to do that because I'm constantly chasing the 100 emails that come in every hour. And so I think the challenge for most organizations is how do you allocate more time and resources to that second box uh, as opposed to the, uh, the first box? And so one way that I've found is, look, it's just a different discussion, right? So like the construction company that, that I mentioned, you know, I'm, I'm uh, their, their CEO is a friend of mine, and we're talking about what they could do with their supply chain network. But we're also talking about the fact that maybe they should do what UPS does, right? I mean, UPS, you know, has invested about half a billion dollars in new technologies that may or may not ever lead to commercial business for UPS, like the 3D printing example. But by investing in those areas, maybe they get smarter in a way that helps them plan for the future. And I think in the tech world, a lot of times people get measured by what their percent of sales is that's spent on R&D, right? You're spending 5% of, of sales on R&D that's low, you know, 30% you know, is high and, and somewhere in the middle, you know, off, off and right. But I think this is really a variation on the same theme. I think every company should have a certain portion of their senior people's time in their corporate budget allocated to the equivalent of R&D. And the equivalent of R&D uh, on the corporate side is uh, spending time and money exploring new technologies that can help give them a leg up or give them an advantage. Maybe that's you know TMS or WMS or visibility or you know tracking or, or, or some other area. But I think you know it, every company ought to think about it the same way. Allocate some time and resources for the high importance, low urgency category. Kind of back to that point you mentioned earlier, which was around the supply chain. VP of supply chain or supply chain manager had never been so important in the eyes of the business and he'd been elevated up. Do you think that actually through COVID and the C-suite uh, felt the pains of the supply chain costs and issues, that's only going to accelerate, like you said, that split of time spent on actually investing and in, in looking at supply chain as an area of investment? Well, yeah. I, look, I think on the one hand, everybody's had disasters in the last year to, to deal with because of the urgency of problems created by COVID. But it's also highlighted the importance of having more supply chain resilience. And, and, and so I think the last year and change, the last year and, and three months of COVID, I think has illustrated both uh, the increased urgency associated with everything, but also the increased importance of being able to have a plan B or a plan C. Yeah, I definitely agree. So in terms of when we talk about or when you're looking at new businesses to potentially invest in in the supply chain technology space, what are the key characteristics that you look for when it comes to choosing that business and knowing that that business is exciting, uh, it's got potential to, to grow and be a good investment? Um, so it'd be good to know what those characteristics are. So Sam, here's what I look for. Number one is, does the business have tailwinds? So the big tailwinds are things like the growth of e-commerce and all the resulting logistics opportunities, whether that's e-commerce fulfillment or last mile or other new needs that emerge. Second might be uh, healthcare, the cold chain logistics, you know, so distribution of pharmaceuticals, tracking of temperature and location, other dimensionality around that. A third tailwind might be returns. And as more gets bought online, more gets returned. Something like 30% of what gets bought online gets returned. We just invested in a company in reverse logistics by the name of Reverse Logics. That's a great example in that arena. And so, so number one, we look for businesses where there's a major market tailwind. Number two is we look for businesses where they've got some sort of a moat or competitive advantage or special solution. In the case of Reverse Logics, you know, they have great software. They're really a market leader in SaaS for managing returns. Another company of ours, Green Screens AI. It's AI to automate various parts of the transaction process for 
uh, truck brokerage and predictive pricing and the special sauce of the mode is really the AI. So, you know, having some sort of a you know, key advantage. The third is the team. In the end, we're investing in people. You know, this is not like buying a real estate company or a construction, you know, mine where there's some tangible asset. The assets are, are, are human capital. So, you know, if we believe the team is outstanding, we believe that the founders and senior management are outstanding, and we think they're winners who will work hard, find solutions, and not be despondent when things don't go their way, which let's face it happens all the time in life. That's vital. That's important. And then the fourth is deal. The deal's got to make sense. A business that's uh, solving a big problem where they've got a real moat and outstanding team still has to have a deal that we can say yes to, right? Because, you know, writing writing a 10 to $50 million check, you've got you've, you've to have conviction. And so valuation matters. Also structure matters and alignment matters. We're willing to give liquidity to founders and management teams, but usually... We always want the core people to have uh, a very large stake in the success of the business. We also, you know, we don't mind paying up. We'll pay full value, but, but you know, we don't want to pay crazy value. And, you know, there have been times where if someone has said, look, the thing I care about most is money and price. And we've said, okay, well, you know, not for us, because really the right deal is partly about valuation and terms. And it's also about partnership. And so, you know, we have a team of people, operating partners that have helped build companies like or divisions of companies like UPS, FedEx, Agility, et cetera. And so usually companies that we invest in want the help and support uh, of a talented team that's been a, a part of building much larger companies. And so and that's the right reason for someone to want to work with us. It, it shouldn't be just because of money, because there's lots of money in the world. But, you know, talent, strategy, expertise and ability to help build billion dollar plus businesses that matters. So those are the four things that we look for. Amazing. I'm glad that you kind of touched on the people aspect. Again, I would actually it's quite a subjective area of how do you get that comfortability with the founders and the people in the team? Is there a, is there a way that you've kind of consistently identified amazing founders? Like, is there kind of characteristics that you specifically look for? Yeah. You know, it's funny. We do, we try to do so much to automate and systematize, right, in our businesses and our life. But the fact is, it's really hard. And there's probably no harder place than, than, than the topic that you just raised, which is how do you determine who's a great backable leader? And I don't claim to have the perfect answer, but I will tell you what I think about what we look for. One is track record of success, because people like to say, you know, past performance is no guarantee of future success, but it's a pretty good indicator, right? And, and, but success in my mind, it's not just monetary, like somebody builds something large and create value for their shareholders. Yeah, that matters. But I care just as much about a second part of that, which is overcoming adversity. Because I think the hardest thing when you're building a business is you get surprises, you, you know, curveballs, challenges. And, and so you've got to be able to figure out how do I react to those surprises? How do I overcome adversity? I actually think that's a better predictor than past success. You know, have you had challenges in your life? Uh, that have forced you to think about finding a different way in order to overcome them. And, you know, what did you do and, and what happened? And what did you learn? Right. I mean, most of all, I think, and that kind of brings me to the third point, which is curiosity. I certainly don't have all the answers. And there was a time in life when I was younger when I, I, I thought that I, I did. And, uh, you know, life has a way of, of, uh, of teaching you what you don't know if, if, you, if you're open and, you know, pay attention to the lessons. And, and I think that's important. So, you know, no matter how smart or successful somebody is, uh, they've got to still have that curiosity and, and passion for learning if they're going to continue to be successful. People that rest on their laurels and, and think they have all the answers and get complacent, 
complacency, I think, is a uh, is a is a huge risk factor, right? And and so so to me, past success, ability, and track record of overcoming obstacles and curiosity those are those are three things that we try to look for. Are, are we perfect at finding them? No, but that's what we try for. Yeah, it's really nice to hear the the, the kind of foundation, the adversity one. I couldn't uh, agree more with. I think that that really shows a real test of someone's character when uh, you can you can see how they can adapt and be around around adversity, which is great. One one of the questions I wanted to touch on um, a bit earlier, and I didn't ask it, but was is fragmentation of our industry or as in supply chain one of the biggest challenges that you see for the top technology providers that you're working with? Is it actually there's so many links in a supply chain is the fragmentation of all of those different businesses the uh, one of the biggest challenges it is so there's fragmentation in several areas in supply chain one in terms of the steps in a process i mean if you're a fortune 500 company i remember our operating partner dave stubbs built a business called kuninaga lee logistics one of his customers was nortel nortel had i think 300 different 3pls this was 20 years ago that they were working with in different parts of the business, whether it was warehousing, transportation, freight forwarding, technology, you know, or, or, or otherwise, and uh, and of course, lots of different locations as well as services as well as silos of information. And so, one solution to that is to consolidate, right? You could consolidate by building what Dave helped build, which was a four PL, kind of integrating all these pieces. You could consolidate by doing what Brad Jacobs has been doing, which is buying and integrating companies to put pieces together. And you could consolidate by being focused on the visibility and software side and creating that sort of glass pipeline. But I think one way or the other, consolidation is a big theme in supply chain now, and I think it will be for the next decade. What that means for us, we look for companies that have a point of view on consolidation and that can be buyers. They can in turn integrate you know, multiple pieces of the supply chain. And we look for technology companies that look to consolidate data to be able to provide more kind of holistic visibility for the customer. That's definitely what I've seen on my journey with lots of customers is there's there's all of the tools, but the fragmentation of their internal systems and internal teams of how they've been built up. And then also fragmentation of how to get the data out of all these different sources is really a big drawback or limitation for them kind of adopting something that's really, really end-to-end. From a freight and logistics space, do you see that there's going to be lots more merge and acquisitions from, we've seen some DSV recently. Do you think there's going to be lots of bigger companies consolidating from a merge and acquisition perspective? I do. I do. Well, my 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 friend and our operating advisor, Isa Alsala, who built Agility Logistics, you know, Agility Logistics just sold to Panalpina, DSV, so uh, as a good case in point. So yeah, I think we'll, we'll see a lot more M&A activity and, you know, we expect to continue to be involved in it. And do you think that that will be M&A activity from the large forwarders and the large global supply chain business merging, but also from maybe those businesses buying software companies, buying software technology to, to implement? Yes. Uh, in fact, I've got a, well, 10.30, two minutes. Uh, I'm talking with a company that uh, is interested in buying one of our portfolio companies uh, and using their technology as a component uh, so that as they buy other companies, they can use the technology to help integrate them. So. I think technology plays a vital role in the integration, successful acquisitions. I think that's very important. Amazing. Well, I know you've got a hard stop. It's been an absolute pleasure to get you on the show. It's been been amazing to talk to you. There's loads of great insights in there. So thanks, Ben. Sam, my pleasure. Thank you. And congratulations on all of your successes as well at San Cargo. And certainly uh, eager to watch your continued success too. Thanks for tuning in to What's in the Box. 
If you enjoyed the episode, please hit subscribe and leave a comment.